The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. iSiri was designed by Apple in California. And I never listened to I Doubt It with Dalimore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Wow. Who knew? 174 episodes. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, should be well-rested because she's on break from school, but continues to read like a maniac, my lovely and intelligent co-host, Brittany Page. Indeed. Indeed. You're a weirdo. You finally have a week off to, to rest, to relax, and you do nothing of the sort. Well, come on. I mean, it's not really a break. I still have a litany of things to do. <laughs> a litany, you say? Yeah, it's 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 never break time. Even my summer break isn't a break. I mean, it's... Come on. Anyway. No. I mean, it's like that when, you know, you're like in undergrad or something. Um, it's not It's not <laughs> like that anymore. She says not disparagingly at all. No, I mean, it's... <laughs> no, I'm not trying to sound like an elitist dick. I'm just saying, right. like, you know, I have a thesis that's constantly hanging over my head. I mean, it's something I can constantly be working on. Um, there's yeah. just, it's never ending. Right. But I do have a question. Oh, uh-oh. Is the Thanksgiving episode going to be counted as 175, or do we not count the Thanksgiving episode? I'll have to look and see what we did last year. Okay. I'm not sure. All right. I think it does count. It should count. I feel like it should count. It counts count. toward the numbers, I think. I don't know. I'll have to check. Because I think the only ones that shouldn't count are Jesse's sick days. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and also, we don't count the, the bonus episodes either. The no. debate episodes. No. I don't know. I'll have to look what we did. I know we don't, we don't apply. It's not a charged, quote unquote, episode to our Patreon supporters. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't know why that matters. Mm -hmm. Anyway, speaking of that. The Thanksgiving episode. This will be the last time you'll hear about it. It will. <laughs> if you haven't done it, you still have time. You are listening to this on Monday. And if you don't get it into us today, then you're ass out. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be fucking around with this Tuesday, Wednesday kind of a thing. I, I still have time to do it then. But I got other stuff going on. That's, well, don't say that. That that's sounds just, real dickish, yeah, doesn't that's, it? No. As thankful as I am for your effort. I'll still have time to you. put it in, but I won't. <laughs> I mean, I'll have the time, but yeah, no. Listen, no. It's, it's, uh, if you're going to submit, please, please do. But you need to do it right now. Like, pause the show, quit listening to the rest of what I'm getting ready to say, and do it. Well, because it Six, does. 657. 
what is what you're going to say more important than the phone number? No. Are you sure? It never is. <laughs> 657-464-7609. Or, of course, email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Listen, if you think that someone, that ah, I don't really have anything to say, or they're not really talking to me, you're wrong. We are talking to you it doesn't matter if you're another podcaster. It doesn't matter if you're just a casual listener. It doesn't really matter if you just found the show and this is the first time you've ever heard my stupid voice. We want to hear your the things for which you're thankful this year. So submit. We want to hear from you. Now, Brittany, what were you going to say? Um. Well, it was so unimportant I forgot, All of course. Right. So we did... On the, on the note of you not doing anything during your break, we did do something just the other day. We went to a, a, a show of a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine, their band. They, just, they have a band. They just had an album release, and they had a very short mini tour in the Southern California area. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that, but first I want to talk about the fact that I... I don't, I don't know why, but I, I got this thought in my head that I wanted to change my Siri voice to a British accent, and that's something you can do. So I changed it to the female British accent, and it's a fucking nightmare in Southern California to try to have Siri tell you your directions when she has that voice. Yeah, this has been a a big issue for you lately. I, I don't need lots of complaining. Yes, it's well, one, she got us lost, and not just because um of the wrong directions, but because I couldn't understand. I mean, it was because of that, but it was it was also compounded by the fact that I couldn't understand what the fuck she was saying. Mm-hmm. because she doesn't refer to the freeways around here. And those of you, our, our, our international audience might not know this, and many of the, our American listeners will know because they make fun of this about L.A. But in normal areas, it's, oh, you take I-5, the, you take the interstate, or you, and around here it's just the 405, just the number of the freeway and the. The 405, the 101, the 110, the 5, the 605, the 710. By the way, these are all real real highways around here and so but siri doesn't do that siri says the the 405 isn't that what she does the full number she reads out yeah she doesn't understand how to (laughs) just say the freeway name just say it they programmed the the british one to be different than the, the american one says the 405 oh really i think so yeah Oh, so, so so this one when she says the four hundred and five, hmm, that's how they do it. Yeah, it's not even the four zero five, which I would expect because O is not a number; it's a letter. Yeah, but nope, it's she's the four hundred and five. Yeah, so you hate her. Interstate four hundred and five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a fan. So I'm going to switch it back. I'm so so lazy that I haven't done it yet. See, I didn't even know that you could switch. So this is well, information to me. Now you know. The more you know. So anyway, we went to the show. Um, one of the members of this band is my my good buddy, Samson, who was in another band called The Percolators, which is my intro and outro music on this show, was a track from one of their albums. Super talented guys. 
and they have a, a band that is awesome. They cover like Frank Sinatra and, you know, the crooners, those type of songs, Frank, Frank Sinatra, um, Dean Martin, even I, I mean, we heard Michael Buble the other night and they do it in kind of a punk, you know, if you ever heard of me first in the gimme gimmies, it's, it's kind of like that. Anyway, super awesome. And at the end of this, rather than our normal outro, I'm going to play one of their songs. So if you're interested in this type of music and which I think is, is great and super fun. And these guys are salt of the earth. Awesome friends of mine. So if you'd like to check them out, they're on Squid Hat Records, and the name of the band is Franks and Deans. Like Franks and Beans, except not Beans, Deans, like Deans, Dean Martins. So but we had a good time. It was, uh, it's always good. We, we haven't seen a lot enough uh, live music this year, so it was nice to, to go out and, and have a good time. Yeah, we haven't seen, I don't think we've seen one concert this year, actually, now yeah. that I think, no, 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 I guess that's true. <laughs> It's already almost the end of the year. Yeah, I'm yeah, just now is. having Holy this realization. Shit. Yeah. Yikes. So anyway, that'll be played at the end of the show, and I will put their information in the show notes, as is what you do when you have a podcast. Well, and it was awesome. I was very, very impressed. Yeah, it really was. It was a good. It was a good show, and, and it I- wasn't just because I haven't seen a band for a year. <laughs> Just the drought yeah. made it even that much yeah. better. I'm like, oh, a live show, what? <laughs> yeah, it was really good. All right, once again, our phone number is 657-464-7609. And we have a Facebook page, which you can go find. And we're also on Twitter, I Doubt It Podcast. The other thing that I would beg you to do is to go on iTunes and rate and review the show Tell us through that process just how much or how little you like the show. That is the place to do that. And it really does somehow this iTunes algorithm kind of that's the way it works to get us in front of new listeners because it puts us into the what hot section. It puts us into the new and noteworthy section. And we appreciate all every little bit we can get relative to moving the conversation forward and pushing us into the face or the ears, as it were, of new listeners. All right. Well, as a matter of follow-up, we've been having a lot of people who have, well, I don't know a lot, but there have been a number of people who have kind of admonished us to explain in more detail exactly what's going on with the Syrian crisis, both the, the war the military conflict and the geopolitical thing that's going on there, as well as the refugee crisis. Well, it's all a huge mess. And if you don't follow international relations, you likely you know, don't know what's going on. And listen, it's hard to. It's really a complicated thing. And you really have to dive into investigating what's going on in order to learn about it. Because they're yeah. not just like talking about it all the time. Right, absolutely. So what we're going to do... I've got two different clips here that we're going to play. They both total about 10 minutes. And I really hesitated whether we wanted to just play these or whether I was going to stumble fuck my way through and try <laughs> to explain in my own words kind of the, the history and the, the, the geopolitical ramifications and just the different things that are going on over there. Mm-hmm. So rather, 
than bumblefuck or stumblefuck my way through. Wow. I'm going to just play these because I think they're succinct. They say what needs to be said, and they're super informational. So this first one deals strictly with the Syrian conflict. What's going on over there? The history of it. And, and I don't mean, when I say history, I don't mean it goes way back. I mean just like the the last few years, what has sparked the conflict, why it's gotten to the point that it has, the birth of ISIS, that kind of thing. So we're going to play the, what the conflict is, and then the conflict obviously is what's causing and spurning the, the refugee crisis. And then we're going to play something that talks about the actual refugee crisis. So first, the conflict in Syria. Syria's war is a mess. After four years, the conflict is divided between four different sides on the ground. Each side has different foreign backers, and those foreign backers don't even agree with one another about who they're fighting for or who they're fighting against. To understand all this, the crisscrossing interventions, the moving battle lines, it helps to go back to the beginning of the war and watch how it unfolded. The first shots in Syria's war are fired in March of 2011 by Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad against peaceful Arab Spring demonstrators. In July, some of the protesters start shooting back, and some Syrian troops even defect from Assad's army to join them. They call themselves the Free Syrian Army, and the uprising becomes a civil war. Extremists from Syria and from around the region start traveling to join the rebels. Assad actually encourages this by releasing jihadist prisoners to tinge the rebellion with extremism, make it harder for foreigners to back them. In January of 2012, Al-Qaeda forms its new branch in Syria called Jabhat al-Nusra. Also around then, Syrian Kurdish groups, who've long sought autonomy, take up arms and de facto secede from Assad's rule in the north. That summer is when Syria becomes a proxy war. Iran, which is Assad's most important ally, intervenes on his behalf. By the end of 2012, Iran is sending daily cargo flights and has hundreds of officers on the ground. At the same time, the oil-rich Arab states on the Persian Gulf begin sending money and weapons to the rebels, mainly to counter Iran's influence and mainly through Turkey. Iran steps up its influence in turn in mid-2012 when Hezbollah, which is a Lebanese Shia group backed by Iran, invades to fight alongside Assad. The Gulf states respond by sending even more money and weapons to rebels, Saudi Arabia really leading the effort at this point, and this time going a lot through Jordan, who also opposes Assad. Now, by 2013, the Middle East is divided between generally Sunni powers on one side supporting the rebels and Shias on the other side supporting Assad. Now, that April, the Obama administration, horrified by Assad's atrocities, signs a secret order authorizing the CIA to train and equip Syrian rebels. But the program stalls out at first. At the same time, the U.S. quietly urges the Arab Gulf states to stop funding extremists, but their requests go ignored. In August, Assad uses chemical weapons against civilians in the town of Ghouta. Men, women, children lying in rows killed by poison gas. It is in the national security interests of the United States to respond to the Assad regime's use of chemical weapons through a targeted military strike. Russia proposed on Monday that Syria su uh, surrender control over its chemical weapons to the international community for its eventual dismantling to avoid a U.S. military strike. The U.S. ends up backing down, but the whole thing establishes Syria as a great powers dispute. 
with America against Assad and Russia backing him. Just weeks later, the first American training in arms through that CIA program finally reached Syrian rebels. The U.S. is now a participant in the Syrian war. In February of 2014, something happens that transforms the war. An al-Qaeda affiliate, mostly based in Iraq, breaks away from the group over internal disagreements over Syria. The new group calls itself the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, and it becomes al-Qaeda's enemy. ISIS doesn't fight Assad. Instead, it fights the other rebels, and it fights the Kurds, carving out a mini-state in Syria that it calls its caliphate. And that summer, it marches across Iraq, seizing territory and galvanizing the world against it. Then, in September, almost exactly one year after it almost bombed Assad in Syria. We're moving ahead with our campaign of airstrikes against these terrorists, and we're prepared to take action against ISIL in Syria as well. That summer, the Pentagon launches its own program to train Syrian rebels. But unlike the CIA program, this one will only train rebels who fight just ISIS, not Assad. And the program fizzles out, showing that America now opposes ISIS more than Assad, but also that there's really no like-minded force on the ground in Syria. In August, Turkey begins bombing Kurdish groups in Iraq and in Turkey, even as Kurds are fighting ISIS in Syria. Turkey also doesn't bomb ISIS in Syria. All of this deepens tension with the U.S., of this question of whether they need to treat Assad or ISIS the primary enemy and creates a lot of confusion among the Kurds about where the U.S. stands. Now Assad has been losing ground all this time to ISIS, to the rebels, and in September of 2015, Russia intervenes on his behalf. Russia says it's there to bomb ISIS, but in fact it just bombs the anti-Assad rebels, including some rebels who are backed by the U.S. So as it stands now, there are lots of different groups and outside countries involved in Syria's war. And even among allies, there are big disagreements about who their enemies are, who to support, and how to do it. And those contradictions are a big part of why, for this war, there is just no end in sight. So pretty good. It really, they got into depth, and it's good when you have a script you can read from <laughs> to not have it be just a, a cluster all the way through, you know what I mean? Right, well, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of different countries, a lot of different players. Right, well, it really, it really, I've been seeing a lot of bullshit on Facebook this week. Um, exp Like, oh, you need to watch this clip, explains how the U.S. government knew and wanted ISIS to, to come into power. Right, they, they wanted ISIS. Yeah, that's, that's not a, that's not at all what it is. And, and one, it's, there's a lot of moving part. It's like saying that the United States wanted Al-Qaeda by supporting the Mujahideen who were who were opposing the enemy, the Soviet Union in the 80s. Mm -hmm. It's just it's not it's not true. Well, I think everyone tries to uh, do things or see things more black and white because it's easier. It's more complicated when right. it's this gray area and it's it's not something you can simplify. Right. At I mean, all. it's not simple. Not at all, especially when you have multiple enemies mm -hmm. on multiple different fronts. Mm -hmm. You can have, just because you have a, a group that is opposing someone who is your enemy, that doesn't mean that your interests line up. It doesn't mean that they're also your friend. Well, obviously, I, this doesn't need to be said, but this is my job to say things. <laughs> Indeed. Um, the result of all of this craziness this instability in the region has caused 
a massive, massive influx of people fleeing Syria to get out of this area that is, it's not safe for women, for children, for families. It's, it is a, a battle zone, to say the very least, a battle zone that is filled with, you know, 50,000, maybe 100,000 bloodthirsty violent killers unlike we've maybe never seen and this is likely what you've heard more about is the syrian refugee crisis that's what's been all over the news lately and it almost is making it appear as though it's a new situation it's a new problem and it's not it's been happening since the very beginning people getting you know gtfo syria so here is another clip that explains europe's refugee crisis which is brought to you by the Daily Conversation YouTube channel. And I've watched a couple of these videos these, these couple of these guys have done, and they do a real good job. These videos are super informative. So if you'd like to check them out, they're on the, it's the Daily Conversation on YouTube. We don't control where we're born, and wherever that happens to be is where most of us stay. Our families, our friends, our spoken language, everything is there. It's what we know. But this year, hundreds of thousands of people from the countries surrounding the European Union have left the lands of their birth in search of a more peaceful, better life. This is an explanation of the European migration crisis. Europe is used to receiving economically motivated migrants, but they're not used to being overwhelmed by refugees. A refugee is defined as a person who has been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. The brutal civil war against a mad dictator in Syria has caused over 4 million people to flee that country. The rise of the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq is causing millions more to leave their countries in search of peace. But refugees are also from Libya, Eritrea, Afghanistan, Nigeria, Sudan, Senegal, and Somalia. The migrants are heading to Europe because they can live there in peace, their economic prospects are far better, and many of them have friends or family that have already made the journey and who pull them there like a magnet. Germany, Europe's 80 million man economic powerhouse, is the top destination. Sweden accepts the most asylum seekers per capita, some settle in Italy and France, others would like to continue on to the UK, but as a well-guarded island, the journey is more difficult. Syria's neighbors, Turkey, Jordan, and Lebanon, have over 3.5 million Syrians living there, many in sprawling refugee camps just outside their borders. Once outside of Syria, there are several routes people are taking to get to Europe. They cross the Mediterranean into Italy and Greece, and some cross the Black Sea from northern Turkey. Once on the European mainland, the unpassable Alps and more secure borders funnel the migrants through the Balkans to Hungary. From there, buses and trains take them to the German border or other parts of the EU. The situation has reached crisis level now, partially because summertime means the sea and mountains are warm enough to safely cross, and the success stories of refugees now settled in Europe has motivated many more this year than in years past to finally make the push. But that push has also led to 6,000 people drowning in the Mediterranean Sea, since the start of 2014, a rate of more than 1% of those who embark on the treacherous journey in unseaworthy boats. These tragedies, images of dead migrants washing ashore, have gripped the world. 
Refugees are also victimized by degenerate smugglers, like when 71 people perished in Hungary after the driver of a tractor truck left them locked in his trailer. Germany has said it could take up to a million asylum seekers this year alone. This isn't just humane, it's wise, considering Germany's low birth rate, aging population, and shortages of available labor. The UK will allow in 20,000 over five years, while France will accept 12,000 a year for the next two years. Hungary, on the other hand, has built a four-meter-high fence along its entire 109-mile border with Serbia to force the migrants west into Croatia. The U.S. State Department has said it could accept up to 8,000 Syrian refugees next year, up from the 1,500 total it's brought in so far. The U.S. has provided $4 billion in humanitarian aid. The wealthy Persian Gulf states of Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, and Bahrain have accepted a grand total of zero Syrian refugees. The inability of governments to act effectively to solve the crisis has led to some out-of-the-box attempts to help, including an American and his Italian wife who now patrol the Mediterranean helping to rescue distressed migrants in the 136-foot ship they spent $8 million on. After the Icelandic government said the country of just over 300,000 could only take in about 50 Syrian refugees, Brindis Björgvin's daughter called out her government to do more and volunteered to house, feed, and clothe a small refugee family. That inspired more than 10,000 other Icelanders to join her on Facebook to offer their homes too. How do you think the refugee crisis should be solved? Is your government doing enough? Make sure to like and share this video if you liked it to help it spread. And as usual, thanks for watching. Once again, that is from the Daily Conversation YouTube channel. And I will also, because this is like apparently what podcasters do, put their information in the show notes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but all really good information. And it sheds a little bit of light. I mean, he really didn't go into, I think this obviously had been published prior to the Paris attacks. It, it was. But the, the Paris attacks really shouldn't put too much of a different spin on how we handle these refugees. Well, because like we said last time, France is still accepting Syrian That's refugees, right. despite right. the Paris terrorist attack. So what I'm saying is we should have a security infrastructure, a security protocol in place before any terrorist attack. So anybody who comes in, whether it be a refugee from China or a refugee from Syria, the same level of scrutiny and investigation and vetting should take place just based on our current security situation. It shouldn't matter that a, a, a brutal attack in Paris just took place. We should be doing that no matter what. I think the most poignant thing about the video is it really illustrated the humanity. Yeah. And this really is a, a human rights situation and protecting other human beings that are in a terrible situation. They're fleeing their country. Exactly. They're in need of help. And when you juxtapose the message that you just heard in that video with the rhetoric from the GOP, yeah, um, it makes it even more hateful. Well, it's just these are real people with real lives who are at risk of dying or being beheaded brutally by ISIS. I mean, 
put yourself in the position of these people. If this was your family, you would want the United States or Germany or Hungary or whatever country to do whatever they can do. Well, they're also leaving with probably nothing. I mean, just what's on their back. Yeah. Or a bag of something. Whatever they can carry. Yeah. Yeah. That is. It's not like they're all loading up in fucking U-Hauls and driving to Germany. Yeah, so you think about it in this way, and then you, you know, think of Donald Trump saying what he's saying, and it's just like, where where in the hell is their compassion? Yeah. They don't have a shred of compassion for this situation. Well, you know what? Uh, the thing I did learn from this is good for Germany. Oh, yeah. A million this year alone. Yeah. Angela Merkel doing, getting it done. Wow. That Seriously, that is something to look up to. They've, they, they are getting it done. Well, we hope that you maybe enjoyed that and don't think that I'm just a dirty, filthy slacker <laughs> for not wanting to get bogged down in my my lack of ability to explain things that are so nuanced and so complicated. They did it for me. I'm not one for reading scripts. Well, listen. I don't it, know if you know. It'll also give you more <laughs> fuel for your Thanksgiving dinner uh, debates at yeah. the table, right? Yeah. So Now you should understand it. And... <laughs> when your when your old racist uncle says something ridiculous mm-hmm. across the dinner table at you, yeah, you can just go over to the to the old uh, the iPhone and flip on I Data with Dollamore episode one hundred seventy four <laughs> and play that little nugget for him. Unless you were able to just memorize all that information right off the bat, then you could just <laughs> say it. Oh, can I say one more thing? Yeah, of course. So they mentioned Saudi Arabia accepting zero. Right, the Arab states. And I mean, how how many times are we going to hear about Saudi Arabia? They're our ally, and they're the worst. The worst. I mean, they're you know making legislation that atheists are terrorists. They don't let women drive. I mean, what? Right. This is our ally, and they're the worst. The worst. How long is this going to continue? This. Just- Come on. <laughs> This has to be the situation. This is what we're this is what we're stuck with. They uh, they sell us oil. Apparently, that's that's reason enough to put up with any indignity. Oh come on! All of these human rights violations. It's pretty serious. It's terrible that we we subject ourselves. It's like having a friend who's constantly being an asshole. It's like having a rapist for a friend, and then you have him over, but he's not raping you. So. <laughs> Well, he's, you know, he's he could just come over. He doesn't rape my wife or anything. Yeah, I know. He's raped, you know, 10 or 20 women. Oh, God. But when I have him over, he's a super nice guy to me. And he's really good to my family and my kids. But yeah, he but he goes out and he, he rapes women on the weekend. So it's like yeah. having a relationship with Bill Cosby. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. No, no, yeah. we don't exactly. That. Simplified. <laughs> Jesse's argument simplified. Right. All right. You're welcome. Well, without... We're going to move on. We've got to move on. Um, but before we do, the obligatory mid-roll. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. See, if Siri talked like that, I wouldn't have a problem. Mm-hmm. But it's it's more computery. Yeah. And not good. Yeah. <laughs> it also doesn't help when Siri doesn't understand directions in Los Angeles. So just a uh, side note. 
The worst. Siri is much like Saudi Arabia or the racist friend you have over to your house. Uh, by racist, I mean rapist. Yes. <laughs> Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So the Syrian refugee crisis continues to be a topic which is leading our two Republican frontrunners to act even crazier and more ridiculous than you thought possible, or at least than I thought possible. Ben Carson this week compared, <laughs> goddamn, Ben Carson, world-renowned brain surgeon, pediatric brain surgeon, a smart man, compared Syrian refugees to rabid dogs. We must always balance. We must balance safety against just being a humanitarian. For instance, you know, if there's a, a rabbit dog running around in your neighborhood, you're probably not going to assume something good about that dog, and you're probably going to put your children out of the way. Doesn't mean that you hate all dogs by any stretch of the imagination, but you're putting your intellect into motion and you're thinking. How do I protect my children? At the same time, I love dogs, and I'm going to call the Humane Society, and hopefully they can come take this dog away and create a safe environment once again. By the same token, we have to have in place screening mechanisms that allow us to determine who the mad dogs are, quite frankly. Who are the people who want to come in here and hurt us and want to destroy us until we know how to do that just like it would be foolish to put your child out in the neighborhood knowing that that was going on it is foolish for us to accept people if we cannot have the appropriate type of screen <laughs> you would think with the brain pan on this guy he'd be able to come up with a more accurate or analogous analogy like in this in this thing he's Who's the dog in this? Is it the, the the hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees? Are they the rabid dog? And and who's the humane society in this analogy? It, it, or is he just spinning a yarn? I mean, w what is going on here? Well, I think he's definitely the, the rabid dogs in his scenario are the Syrian refugees. So it's more like, <laughs> I mean, are yeah, you... They're not all rabid are you talking about like the little kids as well like the kids who need help and stuff like you're talking about these human beings that need help and you're calling them rabid dogs come on i mean it's it's very confusing and i don't understand it he listen it's a lost cause him him his candidacy and trump for that matter well should we discuss the latest poll yes of course it's a Washington Post ABC poll. Mm, so you know it's good. And it's a national sample <laughs> of 1,004 adults, including landline and cell phones. It was conducted over November 16th through the 19th. And among registered voters, Donald Trump has 
Is this a national poll, you said? Yes. Mm. And Ben Carson has 22%. And this is among registered voters. Right. 32% well, you, that Donald Trump. That doesn't necessarily, because of the motor voter program in many states now, just by registering your car or getting a driver's license, you can automatically register to vote. So it doesn't mean likely voter. It just means registered voter. Okay. No, that's a difference. No, a- I do. I understand. But I just thought that um, before when I read the polls, usually you're like, well, it doesn't matter unless they're a registered voter. Brittany, listen. You just desperately need- don't want this to yes. be true. <laughs> I desperately don't want this to be accurate. Yes, I'm sorry. Let me live in my fucking fantasy land. Okay. Ugh. Anyway, Donald Trump, in an act of desperate, insane racism... A, a, a flagrant violation of our constitution he is calling for a database and an id system for muslims in our country americans to have to carry an id because of the religion that they practice beyond database i mean we should have a lot of systems and today you can do it but right now we have to have a border we have to have strength we have to have a wall and we cannot let what's happening to this country happen in the world. Like oh, I would certainly implement that. Absolutely. What do you think the effect of that would be? How would that work? It would stop people from coming in illegally. We have to stop people from coming in to our country illegally. For Muslims specifically, how do you actually get them registered into a database? It would be just good management. What you have to do is good management procedures. And we can do that. It's nice. And do, you, do you go to mosques and sign these people up? And the Different places. You sign them up at different, but it's all about management. Our country has no management. Who's is that? Would they have to legally be in this database? Would it be their They have to be. They have to be. Let me just tell you that the key is people can come to the country, but they have to come in legally. Thank you very much. So that's cuckoo. That's insane. Yeah. The people who love the Constitution talking like this right the republicans are supposed to love the constitution more than democrats right and here you go with this narrative well it's also just zero empathy it's it's it no one's saying to themselves what would i think of this if this was happening to my in-group no one's asking themselves that what if donald trump was suggesting that we id and have a database of all christians in the country Mm-hmm. People would be losing their collective minds over oh, a sure. plan like that. Yeah. Because, that oh, this is wildly unconstitutional. You can't blah, blah, blah. But it's okay because it's Muslims and we're afraid of Muslims. Right. Well, and you made an awesome point uh, when we were discussing wow. this. I did, did I? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, there are Muslims in the military. Yes. So also the Republican Party who is supposed to love veterans, love the military, be super supportive, you know, more than Democrats. There are Muslims in the armed services. Yes, lots of them. So he also would like... Muslims in the armed services, Muslims who protect the country to be in some sort of special ID program. And there was actually um, at Muslim Marine is his Twitter handle. He tweeted Donald Trump 
and said, hey, at real Donald Trump, I'm an American Muslim and I already carry a special ID badge. Where is yours? And it's his Marine Corps military ID. Right. Yeah. Calling him out for, you know, not having served in the military. Well, no, he's the most militaristic person ever. Brittany Page. He, that's on. what he says. Oh, I mean. I, I don't mean, know what oh, it means. Come on. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but he says it. Yeah. Well, it's. It's a great point that the at Muslim Marine makes, which is, I served my country. I am patriotic and I love the United States. I'm actually serving my country militarily. What did you do, Donald Trump? You want to ID me? You want to put me in a database? Screw you. You know what I mean? I do. Come on! Your new favorite drop. <laughs> your new favorite it's the best job bluth is the best well it wouldn't be job bluth because it's george oscar bluth that's what job stands for well job bluth is the best gob gob yeah mm -hmm. well for those of you who don't know come on that's from arrested development mm -hmm. so that's a tv show that i think is still on well still for sure on netflix but it's also on hulu Yes. Or, fuck, you could probably pirate it somewhere and watch it. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest sitcoms ever made. Indeed. Oh, come on! Anyway, let's, let's move on to, in the same, same event, Donald Trump is, like, signing autographs and being asked by an NBC reporter exactly how he plans to implement this. Now, in the background, you're going to hear, I believe it's a Rolling Stones song that's playing very loudly. It's because... They just flipped on the music in the auditorium while he's wrapping up and leaving. It's kind of a you know the sound that the, when they flip the lights on in a theater, it's a signal to get the get the fo, <laughs> get out. It's over. Uh huh. Get the fo. Yeah, I know. Oh, I'm right. I'm you, understanding. Well, you made that. You kind of looked up toward the sky like what? I don't know. Well, it's it's like when I say just Jake Han, but you actually did it right and you didn't you know oh, say yeah. the additional like when people call it an ATM machine. Yeah. When ATM stands for exactly automatic teller machine. Yes. All right. Now we're getting in the weeds. Anyway, the reporter asked him some very poignant questions, and this just reveals to me how scarily arrogant Donald Trump is by his answer. Mr. Trump, why would Muslim databases not be the same thing as requiring Jews to register in Nazi Germany? What would be the difference? Is there a difference between the two? He's ignoring him. Is there a difference? With? I'm with NBC News. Is there a difference between requiring Muslims to register in Jews? You tell in Nazi me. Germany? You tell me. What do you believe? You, why don't you tell me? Do you believe there is? You tell me. Should Muslims be, I mean, fearful? Will there be consequences if they don't register? Is this as infuriating to everyone else as it is to me? It, I mean, listening to this... My blood boils when I hear this. How did this guy stay so even keel? It's his job, man. I mean, I would have said some very mean things, I think. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I would have been able to control myself. It is. And then he's got his, his lackeys and his just brainless automaton supporters who are like chirping insults at this reporter. Yeah. And he's, you tell me, you tell me, he's asking you a question. He's asking a very valid question. Right. And he's how asking. How is it different? How, go ahead. Sorry. No, he's asking for Donald Trump to answer the question. It's his idea. Right. It's his, it's, <laughs> it's his program. Right. Why are you telling the journalist to tell you the difference between those? No, he's asking you. It's your idea. How valid is the question, though? 
it mean, is seriously. completely valid. How is it different than it was in Nazi Germany to register the Jews? How, how is it any different that they're going to have to carry IDs with them that say, I'm a Muslim, and they're going to be registered in a database? How's it different? There was a an article in The Atlantic recently, a couple days ago, and the title is Donald Trump Threatens Religious Liberty, and the subtitle says, The candidate's remarks on Muslims ought to alarm Americans of every faith. Yes. And that is so true, but what is strange to me is how it's not. Is how it's not alarming people. It's bizarre. And I don't know what to say about that because I don't want to say that, you know, all of Donald Trump's supporters are racist, but he's certainly bringing a lot of racists out of the woodwork. And if you go look at his his at Twitter mentions, there is blatant racism all over the place of people tweeting support of Donald Trump. And it is very terrifying. And then when he advocates these programs and you see people posting supporting these programs. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's truly terrifying. It really is. I, I'm just trying to uh, listen. I, I'm at a loss for words trying to think about the fact that we have a a massive portion of citizens in this country who are buying this hook, line and sinker. They are in support of this kind of fascist bullshit. Right. And that's what it is, because this is what he said, quote, we're going to have to do things that we never did before. And some people are going to be upset about it. But I think that now everybody is feeling that security is going to rule. Certain things will be done that we never thought would happen in this country in terms of information and learning about the enemy. And so we're going to have to do certain things that were frankly unthinkable a year ago, like this program. Wow. That I mean, that is that is scary talk. That is that is Adolf Hitler kind of crazy, scary shit. It's terrifying. What do you mean there's certain things that need to happen in this country that we never thought would happen? No, there are rules. Absolutely. And you become president and you have to follow the rules. Well, it's it's a lot like uh, that that saying that that Protestant pastor said, the um, Niemöller. Uh, first, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I'm not a socialist. And then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Yeah, it's so powerful. And it's real. You know, it's... it's a, who knew... That a merely half a decade, 60, 70 years after World War II and the Holocaust, we'd have to have another conversation, a serious conversation about a candidate running for office in the United States where we would have to read this and reflect back on the policies that led to what happened during the fucking Holocaust. Donald Trump is talking about this kind of a thing. This is serious and it's real. This isn't like, this isn't just hyperbole. He's talking about the things that led to the Holocaust. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if it's the power going to his head or what, but this is, you know, infringing on liberty. It's infringing on the freedom of others. And that is America. So you can juxtapose that against what Rand Paul said during a speech at George Washington University on Thursday when he lambasted the suggestion that there needs to be more surveillance in the United States after the Paris attacks. This is what he said. So when they stand up on television and says, the tragedy in Paris means you have to give up your liberty. We need more phone surveillance. Bullshit. Are you allowed to use profanity? Is that part of the, are we in the free speech zone? But here's the thing is, they are collecting your phone records as we speak. They did not miss a beat. And even though we voted on reform, all of your phone records are still being collected and stored in Utah. Did it stop the attack in Paris? Not one iota. That, two awesome valid points there. The last one being that we are, you know, in a very draconian way, a tyrannical way, collecting information from innocent blameless, crimeless Americans. And what did it do to stop that type of tragedy, that type of of attack? It didn't do anything because the attack happened. This is why I have a hard time with kind of dividing myself from a guy like Rand Paul. I mean, he is a Christian nutter, and he is really beholden to that type of... uh, that thought and it, you know, his, his anti-gay attitudes, they, they ultimately push me over the edge against him. But that kind of a thing right there is why it makes it hard for me to do so. Right. Well, despite his numerous flaws, he is not in favor of infringing on the rights of Americans. Right. Like you are seeing with Ben Carson or Donald Trump. Right. It's. And this is a pretty important thing. Very important. And he's, He's one of very few voices saying this. So it is a scary, scary time. Uh, And, you know, it's not just ISIL and terror that you need to be afraid of. Apparently, we live in a country now where men like Donald Trump need to be feared. And the supporters of Donald Trump need to be feared. Well, speaking of fear... Robertson, he also has some thoughts about the uh, the refugees, Brittany Page. Mm-hmm. When asked on his 700 Club show where they get to the part of the program oh, great. where they ask him questions. Can't wait. Because when you have a question about Syrian refugees, who do you go to? An 80-year-old white man <laughs> who has done, what has he done his whole life? Has he been involved in anything important? Is he like a lawyer or something? Has he always been a pastor? What's he done? He takes money from old people. What's his education even? Do we know? I'm going to Google it. Now he runs his university. So anyway, he had this to say in true Christian fashion. This is Heather who says, with the horrible ongoing ISIS attacks, I was wondering what you think Jesus would say about letting Syrian refugees into America. Is it more important to protect our country from evil or to try to reach out and save those who do not know him? By nature, I am compassionate 
And if I see a family that is fleeing oppression, I would say, let's put our arms around them and help them. That's my own personal. But from a policy standpoint, the truth is these evil people have infiltrated the refugee hordes. And uh, like one of them up in Paris was a uh, man who had come in through the uh, Macedonian corridor up into Europe. And uh, he was, I guess, Syrian. I don't know what he was. But nevertheless, he was one of those refugees, and uh, he brought mayhem. So I do think the country's got to be vigilant. But my heart, my heart, you ask me, my heart is to help the poor. And if I saw a family that's fleeing the oppression and the war in Syria, I would open my heart and say, let's take them in. But uh, policymakers may disagree. Let me tell you something, Pat Robertson. That is the beauty of living in a country where we, the people, are the first three words on our founding document. That if you feel that way, and I feel that way about letting them in in my heart, because I want to do the right thing by these other human beings who are in, in a horrible situation. And if my neighbors feel that way, and if their neighbors feel that way, then we, the people, decide that that's what it is. That is what drives public policy. If it doesn't infringe upon and, and go counter to the Constitution, our, our founding document, which creates the rule of law in this country, if it doesn't go against that, then it's okay to go with it. So you can't, you, public policy goes right hand in hand with the feelings and the opinions of Americans all over the country. Well, you can tell what message he was really trying to drive home. I mean, he's he's saying that, you know, this has been infiltrated by ISIS while at the same time saying, but, you know, in my heart, I would take a man. OK, well, we get the mess, the real message that you want people to pick <laughs> right, up on. Right. We're seeing right through that. You know that, right? So, by the way, I got a couple of things wrong. Just want to fact check myself. Oh, yeah. Pat Robertson. Yes. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm fact checking myself. Get aren't you? It. Aren't you happy about it? Okay. What is uh, what is the fact check that needs to to be told? Well, first of all, he's 85, not 80. All right, even older. And before I correct myself, even I want even closer to death. <laughs> I want to note that his name, his real name, is Marion Gordon Robertson. <laughs> So that's why he goes by Pat. Right. And he went to Yale Law School. Wow. He has his JD. Really? Yes. His JD. Mm-hmm. From Yale. Which is not just a regular law degree, I believe. I don't know much about that. I think. I don't know. Fuck, what do I know? But he went to Yale Law School. So I don't know why I I said, was he a lawyer or something? I don't know why I had that, that hmm. hunch, but apparently it's true. Well, he did run for president and lost to George H.W. Bush in the nomination process. All right, let's get back to Donald Trump and let's end this Dollamocracy segment. So Donald Trump has had a very eventful campaign stump uh, week. He's kicked out multiple individuals from different campaign moments. In this one... He derides a man because of his weight and then has him thrown out. We have 43 million, and now it's actually going to be probably closer to 50. 50 million people on food stamps. Food stamps. And I'll tell you what. If we had a real, if we had a real, hello, hello, 
these Donald Trump crowds are very scary. Yeah, I'm I'm terrified. It, it is. They are booing. They get physically aggressive in the crowd, in the scrum of people when there's a someone who disagrees with the great leader. Yes, they hit people. I've seen them hit people on yeah. video. Yeah. And then they try to drown out anything, which is kind of common in a political arena. Chanting, we need Trump. Yeah. Pretty bizarre, though. And he continues. You know, it's, it's amazing. I mentioned food stamps, and that guy who's seriously overweight went crazy. He went crazy. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, what more could you want from the president of the United States? That's exactly right. How presidential for someone to comment on the weight. It's also weird to me that uh, he keeps acting like, well, when I get to be president, then I'll be presidential. Then I'll act a little different. No, you won't. Yeah, no, you won't. There is no way in hell that that is true. This is who he is. He is however old he is. He's not going to change now. He's almost 70. He's in his late 60s. Yeah, he, he's not going to change. This is who he is. It's this is a, how he treats it's people. It's not a switch you can flip on and off when you're 68 years old. Also, you know, I, I hadn't heard this clip before now. And we watched a segment of his interview with Barbara Walters, which yeah. was in his Manhattan apartment, which is covered in gold. It is gaudy and gross. You can't, I mean, it doesn't even look like a comfortable place to be. It's like a museum. It's covered in gold. It looks like you can't even sit on the couches. <laughs> and this guy, this guy who lives like that, who has always lived like that. That's right. Is standing in front of a crowd talking about the number of Americans that are on food stamps. I'm sorry, but I don't really want to hear about that from you. Yeah. Yeah, no shit. And you've also done nothing in your life to try to help the situation. Listen, there's a lot of millionaire. He's not just a millionaire. He's a billionaire. But there's a lot of millionaire politicians who have gotten down in the depths with the common folk. You know what I mean? Jeb Bush is a guy who's a millionaire. But he has led. You might not like his policies, but he's been a governor. He's been in there. He's been in the thick of things. And he also, when he speaks, seems more down to earth and approachable. More reasonable. I've certainly. never heard him made fun of, you know, make fun of the weight yeah. of someone in his audience. Well, it's horrific. The next day, he was in another <laughs> rally in Alabama. Oh, God. In Alabama. I just took the banjo music <laughs> off of the soundboard, so we don't get to play that. We still hear it when you say Alabama. <laughs> so anyway, he's in Alabama, and a Black Lives Matter protester says something. Oh, no. And Donald goes a little nutty, and the crowd, it turns into a, a very precarious, dangerous situation for this protester because he's being kicked and beaten by those in the crowd. Can hear somebody over there? You know, you have one guy over there shouting. We have thousands of people, and you'll read about him tomorrow. They'll say, oh, the, the, the room had a, a picket. All right, yeah, get him the hell out of here, will you please? Get him out of here. Throw him out. No, we had it the other day. I got criticized. We had it the other night. I had a lot of people and one guy who was seriously obese. 
He complained when I mentioned that food stamps, we have a lot of people on food stamps. And the guy went crazy. And they said that wasn't politically correct. Who cares? We all have a weight problem. Yeah, you can get him out. Yeah, get him out. Get him the hell out of here. Get him out of here. Get out. Get him out of here. Did you see Bernie Sanders? See, he was politically correct. Two young women came up to the podium. They took over his microphone. I promise you that's not going to happen with me. I promise. Never going to happen. Not going to happen. Can't let that stuff happen. So what you can't see is in the video, the crowd takes this Black Lives Matter protester and they have him on the ground. I don't know if he fell or, or how it, how he ended up on the ground. There was a scuffle and right. then he did. He got tripped or something happened where he's on his like back and on his on his stomach. Right. And, you know, there's like three people dealing with him. And then all of a sudden it becomes like 10 people around him, like way more people. Like a very tenuously dangerous, very potentially dangerous situation. Right. Like I was getting nervous that they were going to start stomping on him yes. or I mean, I was I was fearful for what was coming next. In some of the iPhone videos that I've seen, like put on YouTube and, and Twitter and stuff, there's a fuck you, get out of here. Like, I mean, I was expecting, you know, the N word to fly. I, oh, yeah, was, of it course. Was, it was not a safe situation for that dude. Yeah. And that's what scares me the most is this is the the Donald Trump electorate. Yeah. It, it embarrasses me as an American that this is a wide spectrum of our country. Well, I know because we were watching CNN International the other night. Uh, and that is broadcast to the world. Yeah, international. And so when they talk about American um, news, they say, you know, in the United States and they start talking about it because it's not just they aren't just always talking about what's happening in the United States so when they talk about something that's in the U.S. they say well in the United States this is happening and the other day they were talking about you know Donald Trump doing something and I'm just sitting there on the couch like horrified yeah what are they gonna say that other parts (laughs) of the country are hearing this and like oh that's the presidential candidate in the U.S. yeah huh well you know the good thing is I mean we don't have the kind of numbers that that CNN has quite But uh, our international listeners, you know, it's good that we are sending a message that there are others in this country who are alarmed by what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm some wacky, far-left liberal. I'm a normal, run-of-the-mill dude who is very, very perplexed and afraid for the future of my country. Right. All right. What do you say we get to... A little bit pew 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 pew. Um, a lot of pew, actually, probably. <laughs> so, just FYI, a new report came out on the seventeenth, and it said, and the title is "In Nations with Significant Muslim Population, Much Disdain for ISIS." Yeah, that that was the title. Right, and so it, they surveyed eleven countries: Lebanon, Israel, Jordan. Palestinian territory, Indonesia, Turkey, Nigeria, Burkina Faso, Malaysia, Senegal, and Pakistan. And they asked them, do you have a unfavorable, favorable, 
don't know, opinion of the Islamic militant group in Iraq and Syria known as ISIS. So they were surveying the favorability of ISIL Hmm. in these 11 Muslim-majority countries. Okay. So here is what happened. Uh, Lebanon has a 100% unfavorable view of ISIL. They have 1% don't know. I'm assuming that's just like the margin of error. So 100% and then right. 1% don't sure. know. In Israel, 97% unfavorable. Shocker. 1% favorable. 2% don't know. All right. Well, so I, I can assume that the first few countries are, are, are wildly, largely unfavorable for ISIS. Why don't we get down to where they start, you know, the 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 delineation starts taking place. Okay, so Nigeria, 66% unfavorable, 14% favorable. 14%. Yes, and 20% don't know. What's crazy about this is on its face 14%, wow, you're like, "Oh, well, at least it's a wild minority." But uh I mean, how many million would that 14% equal? Well, according to Ali Rizvi, uh, he did the calculations on this. Oh, yeah. He's a prominent, I think he's a former Muslim. That's right. And he lives in Canada. Uh, he has a lot of followers on Facebook. Anyway, he said that that would come out to be over 24 million wow. in Nigeria. And that's one country, 24 million approve. Right, that's not counting. ISIS. Right, that's not counting the 20% that uh, don't know. Don't even know, How right. they feel about um, <laughs> ISIL. Get off the fence, goddamn. So another country, Pakistan. This is very unusual. So uh, 28% unfavorable, 9% favorable, and 62% don't know. 62% don't know what they think about ISIL in Pakistan. In Pakistan. Right. So not even in, So not even including those that don't know, Ali Rizvi says that would come out to be 16 million ISIL supporters in Pakistan. Wow. Yeah. So there could be, I mean, worldwide, there could be very likely like a tenth of a billion people who support, actively support ISIL. So I just want to do one more. Indonesia. Okay, yeah. Indonesia. The most populous Muslim country. Well, and it's also, you know, this Reza Aslan video has been going around. Uh, And in that video, Reza Aslan mentions Indonesia as one of the more moderate Muslim majority countries. Right, right. And, well, we'll talk about that later. Okay, so Indonesia for this, 79% unfavorable, 4% favorable, and 18% don't know. Ali Rizvi says this would come out to be over 10 million in in Indonesia. So throwing all of the numbers in of people who said they had a favorable view in these 11 Muslim majority countries, Ali Rizvi says you're well above 60 million, and this does not include those who answered don't know. Wow. That's Well, I was including... The, the don't know people, because if you're on the fence, you're in question. You're suspect as far as I'm concerned. Well, if you don't know, but, I mean, what? A... But 60 million mm-hmm. is a huge number. Yeah. A huge, huge number. Yeah. And so when I read this headline, I was like, oh, look at this. See, everybody, you know, <laughs> right. um, but then you think, oh, okay, I completely forgot about the population and taking the population into consideration. And I was really ashamed to admit that I did that, right? Not taking the population into consideration. But when you're reading this, you have to. 
I, I just want, I just looked something up. I actually looked something up, Brittany. What, how about that, huh? Okay. The state of California. Uh-huh. 24, or 2014 population for the entire state of California. Mm-hmm. 38.8 million. Wow. 39 million people in California. 60 million people worldwide support ISIS, ISIL, Daesh, IS. Mm-hmm. Ugh. That's terrifying. It, it, I mean, that's not even an exaggeration. That is terrifying. Yeah. Wow. It would be bad enough if there were enough that would fill the city of Los Angeles. But they could almost fill the state of California twice. That is horrific. Well, what do you say we leave everybody on a good note? And on a good note about one of these terrible countries that we just talked about. Taking care of biz. Nigeria. Yeah, Nigeria. Getting it done. Yeah, Nigeria is taking care of biz today because they made history by outlawing female genital mutilation. The ban falls under the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act 2015 that was passed in the Senate on May 5th and was recently enacted into law. This is one of the last acts by the outgoing president. Good luck, Jonathan. Thank you for having that name. (laughs) His successor, good luck, buddy. His successor, Muhammad Abu Buhari, was sworn into office. This wait, wait, wait. Muhammad Abu Buhari. Muhammad Abu Buhari. Buhari. Muhammad Abu Buhari. I think I did a really good job I, with that. You did an amazing job. Okay. Thank kudos. You. Ku- kudos to you, Brittany Page. Dude, Come on. This was one of the last acts by the outgoing president. Good luck, Jonathan. <laughs> Female genital mutilation or cutting is the act of either partially or totally removing the external female genitalia or causing injury to the female genital organs for non-medical purposes, quote. According to UNICEF, quote, more than 130 million girls and women have experienced female genital mutilation or cutting in 29 countries in Africa and the Middle East where the practice is most common. With the help of community activism, campaigns, and a number of organizational efforts to end this practice, UNICEF reported that teenage girls were now one-third less likely to undergo female genital mutilation today than 30 years ago. Good. It's great. With the new law criminalizing this procedure, the hope is that the ban will fully eliminate this practice and be strongly enforced to combat any existing societal pressures. It is going to have to be a thing that they they combat because of the influence of religion. So they're really going to have to be on top of this to to combat it because it's ingrained into the culture via religion. It's terrible. Well, it is terrible because the World Health Organization cites immediate harmful effects of female genital mutilation or cutting that include hemorrhage, bacterial infection, open sores, and long-term consequences that include infertility, childbirth complications, and recurring bladder infections. And also, 
women you, can't enjoy sex. Right. You you lose the feeling and the I mean, you know, it's just it's horrible. It's but horrific. But we don't want to get into that side of it because this is taking care of biz and well, we need to focus right. yeah, on the right. positive right. and the fact that this, I just get pissed off real easy. Brittany I Page. know. That's why I'm reeling you back real, in with the good news. Real easy. <laughs> the good news is that it's becoming less common. It's happening to less women. And the more that people speak out about it, the more that people, you know, say this is still happening. Eye on Hersey Ali. And fight against it. Yeah. Then it will hopefully not ever happen to anyone again. Awesome. Well, with that good news out of Nigeria, we will leave you. We appreciate your support and everything you do for us. Listening twice a week to our ramblings, moving the conversation forward. Together, we are doing something special. And you guys are a massive, massive part of it. If you would like to support the show other than listening twice a week, there's always the Amazon link at dollamore.com. You need to buy a book or some Christmas presents or whatever. It is all there for the taking, and every little bit goes a long way towards supporting your favorite twice-a-week show filled with news, news and ridiculous comment. Don't forget to listen to the rest of this track. And for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. It is time to say goodnight to Napoli Though it's hard for us to whisper on a Sierra With that old moon above the Mediterranean Sea In the morning, Senorina will go walking And that mountain helps the sun come into sight And by that little jewelry shop we'll stop and linger While I buy a wedding ring your finger In the meantime let me tell you that I love you Bon Santa Senorina kiss me goodnight to Bon Santa Senorina Bon Santa It is time to say goodnight to Napoli Though it's hard for us to whisper Bon Santa With that old moon above the Mediterranean Sea in the morning, Signorina will go walking. When that mountain helps the sun come into sight. And by that little jewelry shop, we'll stop and linger. While I buy a wedding ring for your finger. In the meantime, let me tell you that I love you. For Santa, Signorina, kiss me goodnight. Shop will stop and linger while I buy a wedding ring for your finger. In the meantime, let me tell you that I love you. Bon Santa, Senorina, kiss me goodnight. Hey, Bon Santa, 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 Santa.
Well, senorina, kiss me goodnight.